Not sure what to make for dinner? Need some inspiration? Mondays and Wednesdays, join Gabriel and his food hero guests on The Dinner Special. And now, here's your host, Gabriel So. Welcome to The Dinner Special. I'm Gabriel So, and I'm so excited to have Sarah Nevins of A Saucy Kitchen here with me today. Sarah moved away from everything familiar in Arizona to Sheffield, England in 2014 and busied herself in one place where she was always comfortable, the kitchen. She feels strongly that the food we eat has a huge impact on the way we feel in our daily lives. And this really hits close to home for her because her husband was recently diagnosed with celiac disease. Sarah created a saucy kitchen to share their journey to better health through their stomachs. Thank you so much for joining me here today, Sarah. Oh, my pleasure. It's great. Well, Sarah, let's start from the beginning. What role did food play as you were growing up in Arizona? You know, I was really lucky because both of my parents are really good cooks. My mom more so just regular everyday meal cooking and my dad's a really great on the grill. So I was pretty spoiled with that. And I guess that's kind of why I got into it because I always had good food around me. If I wanted that to continue growing up, I kind of needed to figure out how to do it myself. So yeah, that's probably why. Cool. Well, what were some local foods that you loved? Is there something in Arizona that, you know, that is really special? Oh, for local foods, being so close to the border, I think we were spoiled for Mexican food. That's something now that I live in England that I really miss. But other than that, I don't know if there is anything, just lots of really cool coffee shops, I think. That was probably my favorite part, going and just finding different things that you'd see featured on like the Food Network and trying like their cupcakes and the coffees and all that was really great. Sounds like an awesome place. Awesome Mexican food and awesome cupcakes and coffee. <laughs> what more could you want? <laughs> Absolutely. You mentioned that, you know, your mom was a good cook and your dad was awesome on the grill. Where did your curiosity for cooking come from? It started really young. I was thinking about it and I remember having an easy bake oven when I was really little. And that's the little like microwave sort of thing where you just make the single cookies. And I loved that. And then my mom actually got me into baking quite young to help me learn fractions I'm a very visual kinesthetic learner, and I felt like it was really helpful to measure things out and figure out how it adds up to a whole. And I'm not good at math, but I'm good at baking, and it's kind of stuck with me since then. So, yeah, that's it. Well, I'm horrible at math, too, and I kind of sort of steer away from baking because I'm horrible at math, but I never thought of using maybe baking as a way to learn math. Maybe I'm a bit too old for that. <laughs> Definitely math a lot better having cookies involved, so I liked that. For sure. How did you learn to cook? You know, was it through a lot of your parents teaching you or, you know, you mentioned that your mom was really encouraging with your baking? I think it was more just trial and error. Like I was around them cooking a lot and I'd see what they did. And when I was little, my mom had like the shelf of cookbooks in our pantry that I'd often go to and pull them out. And I just did it like most summer vacations in Arizona. It's really hot. It probably wasn't the smartest thing to turn the oven on in 110 degree weather. But that's what I would do is I just spend time, you know, trying out different cakes and things like that, just getting my hands dirty and doing it myself. Well, Sarah, you moved to Sheffield, England in 2014. Did you notice any differences or similarities in how people in Arizona approach and share food compared to Sheffield? I feel like in Sheffield or England in general, they have more of their staples that you recognize. And I don't know if it's just because Arizona doesn't have anything just specific to them. But here you get a lot of like fish and chips and you get the classics like Yorkshire pudding, which I really love. There's a lot of different food. It was the same, but just very slightly different, which was kind of confusing. But yeah. 
You mentioned that there was an awesome Mexican food scene in Arizona. Have you found a Mexican place in Sheffield that you just love? No, it was actually pretty funny because I was talking about this recently, how we went to Liverpool, which not at all like Mexico. And we went to this like a pub, which is not where you should buy Mexican food. And I was just really curious because I saw taquitos on the menu. So I'm like, hmm. And they were really nice, but they were not taquitos. And I feel like there's a lot of things that they say is something like enchiladas. And they're great, but they're not enchiladas. It's funny seeing how different it is not having that influence there. But then they have a lot of really great food here. Like they've got a lot of Indian food because there's a large Indian population. So you get great curries. That's something that's unique to here, I think. Right. Well, I mean, that's something that I was going to ask. You know, there, you just mentioned the curries and you mentioned that you really love the Yorkshire pudding. You know, is there a dish in Sheffield that locals love that visitors might not know about? I don't know how popular this actually is, but if you go and get a traditional English breakfast, and hopefully I'm not just making this up, it's right. I think blood pudding is something that you'll see on the menu. And it is like, is it black pudding? But it's like blood, basically. So that's something that I remembered when my mom first came here when I was moving. She tried it because it was, you know, it's not something you'd get in Arizona. And it was good, but you would just look at it and be like, that sounds so disgusting. But yeah. Cool. Well, food-wise... What was the greatest adjustment for you when you moved to Sheffield? You know, obviously the Mexican food was a bit iffy, but, you know, what was the greatest adjustment? As I was saying earlier, I really like the Yorkshire pudding. I feel like they've got really good fish and chips, so you never run out of that. More so than anything, I feel like they have, you get lots more teas. That's the biggest thing I noticed. So it's not quite food, but it's kind of in that arena, which is nice because I like tea. Perfect. Well, your husband, Mike, was diagnosed with celiac disease a few years ago. For myself and anyone who is not super familiar with it, can you maybe share what celiac disease means and how it affects someone? Yeah, so celiac disease is an autoimmune disorder, which is basically when your body confuses itself or things inside your body as being foreign invaders and attacks itself. So with celiac disease, what happens is when you eat gluten, which comes from like wheat products like bread, when it gets to your small intestine, your body kind of freaks out and starts attacking itself because it doesn't know what to do. And that just leads to a whole host of problems that like when I looked it up last, there are over 100 symptoms of celiac disease, which can be really difficult because for the most part, people only think of the stomach issues when in reality, you can have arthritis that you got from eating gluten and not even know it. Wow. I mean... It's pretty crazy. <laughs> it is, yeah, because he was diagnosed only a couple years ago, but sick for about 10 years without even realizing it. And it can take years and years for people to finally get a diagnosis and realize like, oh, it was, you know, the bread. That's cool. Well, yeah, I mean, I was reading on your blog that, you know, it really affects someone's life. And if it's not diagnosed, it has such a huge impact because there's so many different things that can happen to you if you don't sort of take care of this. Yeah, and it's funny because it's difficult too because it just affects people in so many different ways. Like his dad actually found out when he did that he also had celiac disease because it's a genetic thing. But with his dad, you know, he goes through his entire life not really realizing that there's something wrong. Whereas with Mike, you know, when he was about 10 years old, he got sick and he just never really got better from it because of the same exact thing. Right. Well, on your blog, A Saucy Kitchen you're very open in sharing this health journey. Were you always such an open book or is this a challenge? Oh, it's definitely a challenge. I feel like I'm more of a reserved person, but because it's something that has affected us so much, 
I just want to put that information out there because I wish that we would have had some sort of resource to look to and think just to see the similarities. Maybe he would have been able to be diagnosed sooner rather than later. So because of that, I try to put that information out there just in case anyone wants to know. And it's a pretty interesting journey, too. Yeah, totally. And even for people that maybe aren't, you know, celiac, it's it's interesting because you never know when a family member or a friend or whomever might be diagnosed. And it's just a really great resource, I think. Oh, thank you. In cooking at home, gluten-free is not enough. You really focus on cutting out grains and refined sugars. How did you learn to cook this way? Oh, it was a lot of trial and error. A lot of research went into it because I used to just bake anything. You know, I'd use real sugar, real butter, real eggs, everything. And then we found out that he had celiac disease. It's like, all right, take out the gluten. And then, you know, as we started uncovering more health problems, we felt like it wasn't quite enough. So it's like, okay, maybe cut back on the sugar, cut back on even the eggs sometimes. And really, I think with something like that is you just have to try it yourself and figure it out. One thing that helped me, I think, is just reading other blogs and seeing what they have to say. And that kind of helps you piece it together in getting it done. Well, you were just mentioning that there was a lot of experimentation. Can you share maybe a story where you were experimenting and it just didn't turn out? Let's see. I don't know if I can think of one in particular. It happens all the time. Honestly, it probably happens at least once a week where I try something and it just doesn't come out at all. I was making actually birthday cake for Mike a few weeks ago and I was up making cakes all night until I finally got the right one because the first one was too dense I'm like oh I can't put that on the blog and then the next one was just not sweet enough and then finally got it right so yeah it happens a lot <laughs> well I can imagine because you know, this is a completely new thing for you too right so it's totally understandable you've also eliminated high FODMAP foods because Mike was reacting strongly to them this might be a dumb question but what are FODMAP foods oh no it's not dumb at all so let's see if I say this right. FODMAPs, it's an acronym. It's fermentable, oligosaccharide, monosaccharide, and polyvols. And I probably said that completely wrong, but basically what that is, is they're carbohydrates that your body doesn't fully digest. So for most people like me, I can eat garlic and I'm going to have no problem. But if you're someone with a lot of stomach issues, what happens is it sits in your small intestines and it just kind of sits there and ferments and it causes a lot of IBS problems. And high FODMAP foods can be anything from like apples to garlic and onions and things like that. And a lot of people have found that their symptoms of IBS pretty much go away if they take out these foods. And for some, it could be that you have a problem with apples, but not onions. So it's one of those things where you kind of just have to take it out for a while and see how it is. And then slowly over time, add it back in. So yeah, food intolerance is a lot of fun. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because I mean, you just don't know what it is. So I mean, I guess you have to experiment all the time just to figure out what it could be. Yeah, I think a lot of people are turned off by the idea of doing an elimination diet, which is when you get rid of food for a period of time and enter it back in. But I think the people who have gone through so many different health problems, it's almost just too easy for them to do something like that. Because if it can give your life back, you know, it's really not that difficult of a thing because it doesn't have to be forever. It could be until, you know, your body kind of gets back to health, I guess. Right. Well, for someone who has a family member who has celiac or has just been diagnosed, are there some good online resources or books that you can recommend? As far as online resources, just Google, honestly. 
I think that was something that helped us out the most was just reading other people's blogs who've gone through a similar thing. I'm trying to think if there's anything in particular, any one blog who talks about it. I think it just helps to find other people who have gone through a similar experience and talk to them. Because it can be a really daunting thing when one day your doctor tells you, like, oh, yeah, you can't have bread anymore, which is such a staple in so many people's diets. Find somebody and talk to them about it, and they'll kind of show you the way. Cool. Well, Sarah, I was also curious, how does eating out in restaurants or cafes work? It must be challenging. Oh, it's so difficult because the thing is, it's very difficult to be completely gluten-free. Like, just because you take the burger off of a bun doesn't mean that that meat is still gluten-free. By just touching it, it's got gluten residue on it because it's such a sticky thing. So we haven't really been eating out lately because it's been such an issue. But whenever we do, we call ahead and we kind of tell them the situation and we'll talk to the chefs and either they'll tell us, you know, I'm sorry, we can't guarantee this. Or they'll say, you know, hey, yeah, we can set something aside for you to do later, which is really great when that happens. Is eating in Sheffield when you call ahead of time, has your experience been that they've been pretty receptive or is this still sort of a newer thing that they're getting used to? I think in England, there's so many people who are getting diagnosed recently that it's pretty easy. I mean, it can be difficult because it is also to eat gluten-free a very trendy thing right now. So people say gluten-free when it's not. But because there are so many people who have this issue as well, restaurants are really needing to learn about it. Like we've got a couple of restaurants I can think of where the owners are celiac. So they get how serious it is. And those ones are great. Totally. Well, Sarah... Here at the dinner special, we talk with food heroes about dishes that are special to them and how we can make it at home. Can you talk about a dish that is special to you and a little bit about the story behind the dish? Yeah, so growing up, one of the things that we would often have in special occasions like birthdays and Christmas morning, we have these things called arepas, which are found in Colombian and Venezuelan cuisine because my mom's actually from Colombia. And it's like the one food thing that she kind of brought with her. They're made from ground maize, and they're just these kind of cheesy pancakes, and they're so amazing. So whenever we have birthdays or whenever there's just anything going on, we'd always have those for breakfast, and you just sit down with that and a cup of coffee, and it's amazing. Perfect. Well, is this on the blog? It's not yet, now that I think of it. And I think the reason why I haven't put it up yet is because the flour that I normally use isn't technically fully gluten-free. But I think I can find one that is, and once I can, it's going up because it's amazing. Well, if you could invite any three famous people over to share this amazing arepas recipe dish, who would you invite? I'd probably want some like comedians over because I like to laugh over food. It's difficult to say. I quite like Amy Poehler. I'd probably have like Amy Poehler, Tina Fey, and Mindy Cowling because that sounds like it'd be a good time. Yeah, and they probably know each other pretty well too, so it'd be pretty crazy. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It'd be great. Awesome. Well, let's say you had them over and you were having this arepas dish and you were doing dinner and a movie. What movie would you pair with your dish? Oh, there are so many good movies to choose from. I'd probably want to do like a classic or something. Maybe even like a Monsters, Inc. Pixar sort of thing. I like to eat, just, you know, have a good time when I eat, not stress out too much. I think that'd be good. Well, I call the next part of the dinner special podcast the pressure cooker. I'm going to ask you seven fast and fun questions that we want to know your answers to. Are you up for it? Yeah, I'm ready. Okay, awesome. Number one, which food shows or cooking shows do you watch? Okay, so I quite like to watch Chopped. 
that's one that I used to watch with my family. So that one is really fun. And I haven't kept up the season, but I really like the Great British Bake Off. For anyone who likes baking, that show is amazing. It's just great. Cool. Number two, what are some food blogs or websites we have to know about? I really like Not Without Salt. I think Ashley Rodriguez is a really great writer and I'd really admire her. And I quite like Bev Cooks because she's the opposite of her where she's just completely zany, but it's just so bright and fun and I love it. Awesome. Number three, who do you follow on Pinterest, Instagram, Facebook, or Snapchat that make you happy? I follow so many people on all of those. Um, I quite like following people with really great photography just because I'm so jealous of it. So I like following Half-Baked Harvest. She has such beautiful photography. And Local Milk's another good one. And this isn't on any of those channels, but it's on YouTube. But my husband and I often watch someone called Greg from Ballistic Barbecue. And it's just fun because he just goes out and he just grills all these crazy things and makes these amazing hamburgers. And we quite like watching that. So yeah, that's, I'll add him to the list. Cool. Number four. What is the most unusual or treasured item you have in your kitchen? It's not very unusual, but I treasure my coffee pot. After I moved to Sheffield last year, there were a few dark months when we didn't have a coffee pot because they drink tea. So they had tea kettles and instant coffee, and I find instant coffee offensive. So I didn't have coffee during that time, and I got one for Christmas, and it's amazing. It gets me through the day. Right. Perfect. Number five, name one ingredient you used to dislike that you now love. You know, what's funny is I cook almost exclusively now with coconut oil. And I used to, like, I hated the smell of it. I hated the way it made things taste. And I don't know if I just started off using really strong coconut oil, but now I really quite like it. I think it adds an unusual flavor to dishes and it smells nice and it makes your skin soft. So I probably coconut oil. It's multi-purpose. <laughs> yeah, you can do anything with it. It's great. Number six, what are a few cookbooks that make your life better? I don't own as many cookbooks as I'd like to, just because I tend to be on the more minimal side. But I have Mark Bittman's How to Cook Everything, and that is a really great resource for anyone. Pretty much covers the basics. And I grew up on the taste of home cookbooks, so those ones are always special to me. I think they're just great and fun. Great. And finally, number seven, what song or album just makes you want to cook? I like listening to more upbeat things in the kitchen, and it depends on the week, but what I've found I've done lately is I just go onto Spotify, and I find a Motown playlist, and I just do that, and it's a lot of fun. Perfect. Well, congratulations, Sarah. You have officially survived the pressure cooker. Thank you. That's great. Sarah, thank you so much for joining me here on the Dinner Special Podcast. You're on social media. What's the best way for us to keep posted with what you're up to? I keep my Facebook and my Instagram updated most consistently. So probably on one of those. And on both of them, you can find me at A Saucy Kitchen. So easy enough. And of course, the blog is asaucykitchen.com. Thank you so much, Sarah, for taking the time to chat with me. I had fun. I hope you did too. Thank you. It was fun. Thank you so much for listening. Head over to thedinnerspecial.com for recipes, highlights from every show, super blog articles, and all the wonderful ways to keep in touch on social media. Your culinary journey awaits, so let's get cooking.